Wow, what a homecoming week. Could that have gone any better for Husker fans? I'm Grant Hansen, and you are listening to Scarlet Fever, Episode 7. From Nebraska basketball's opening night to the return of Lauren Stiverance and the absolute extinction of the football program formerly known as Northwestern, homecoming week really couldn't have gone any better. But the world moves on, and this week Nebraska volleyball takes a major road trip test at Rutgers and Penn State this weekend. Have the Huskers found their footing? Plus, what a scrimmage for Nebraska basketball, both men's and women's. An absolutely amazing event on Friday has Husker basketball fans, Landon and yours truly as well, excited for this season. We'll give our takes later in the episode. And of course, Nebraska football crushed Northwestern 56-7 on Saturday. How does that remade O-line match up against Michigan? Is Nebraska the most talented team that Michigan has faced this season? I'll discuss with DN alum and Omaha World Herald columnist Dirk Chatlin. But first, what's the best thing that we saw this week? You'll find out. Welcome back to Scarlet Fever. I'm Grant Hansel alongside Landon Wirt. Another episode and another exciting week of Husker Athletics ahead. You can follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Wirt, W-I-R-T. You can follow me at Hansen15 underscore Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N. And this is a daily Nebraskan podcast, so follow at Daily N-E-B and at DN Sports for the news from those who live on campus and they live it every day here at UNL. A lot of interesting stuff this week. Sister Cindy and more. A lot of crazy stuff going down at the Union this week. I don't know if that's the best thing I saw this week. I do have that picked out. For you, Landon, though, what's the best thing you saw this week? (sighs) I will say, shameless plug here, the Daily Nebraskans actually been doing a pretty solid job of covering the whole Sister Sydney fanfare. Uh, If you don't know much about it, you're probably better off. But in case you're curious as to why there's been a ruckus... uh, You're kind of missing out, honestly. Eh, I think it's are you it's worth a it's a good laugh it's yeah. pretty entertaining I, I was gonna say that. on pure entertainment value yes getting into the whole like actual message probably not yeah, that's a, a good different... thing to be preaching in like 2021 but it is entertaining I'll give yeah. them that the Daily Nebraskans done a pretty good job of covering that whole fanfare so yeah that at least has been interesting weird stuff weird stuff with the union yeah so that's like a that's like an honorable mention yeah, I'd say that's a collect- that's worth a collective honorable mention because okay. it has been very entertaining. Uh, but yeah, no, actually, uh, getting into a somber tone, my week actually kind of sucked. Uh, my mm-hmm. grandma passed away last week, so I spent last weekend. So this time last week, uh, I was getting ready to go to Tulsa. I spent the last weekend there. So honestly, the week's been a bit depressing, but I did get back to Lincoln on Saturday afternoon, right before kickoff. So afternoon, early evening. I trucked it on the way back from Kansas City at like 2.30, got back to Lincoln at 6. The kickoff was at 6.30, and I got to my seat in the press box at 6.20. (laughs) So it ridiculously just never happens to me when I'm that late, but of course, extenuating circumstances. But the best thing I saw this week was the light show. That was really cool. The football game was a nice little distraction for me to take my mind off things and watch Nebraska just pound someone. But that display after the third quarter ended and before the fourth quarter was unlike anything I've really ever seen before. I haven't covered football games with full stadiums before this year, and that crowd on Saturday night would had Something just else. blew away any and all expectation I had. A, that there were still a bunch of people there when Nebraska was up 49-7 to or whatever it was. 
B, the pyrotechnics display and the lights and like the people with their flashlights in the stands was so cool. And that just really set the tone. And I cannot wait to see that again next Saturday night, hopefully in an environment that's a little bit crazier and in a game Mm. that is hopefully still close by then too. So that was the best thing I saw this week. Props to Husker Vision and all the people that had to come together to make that work. There's a kid in one of my broadcasting classes that's in uh, Husker Vision. He said it was a collaborative effort between three different departments to make that thing happen and just real props to the people that came together and did that because that was really really cool and something i never i've never seen before i got chills it was awesome yeah it was did you think they stick with thunderstruck this week or go with some, uh, something else i don't know that song is so good but there right. are a lot there are lots of other good ones that can you know rile AC, up a crowd DC, in a similar fashion. anything AC, yeah acdc AC, metallica so many like good. i know like uh, the thing i was thinking like the whole time was like uh, if they did Enter Sandman with That's that, got to be next. I, I'm crossing my fingers for that. Yeah, well. my vote, Enter Sandman. That would be awesome. <laughs> Before the fourth quarter, that'd be crazy. Ah, that was fun. Best thing I saw this week, I actually got to work, uh, as I have several weeks, with BTN as a runner. Not a very high-stakes job, but you get to spend a lot of time with the press box, coiling cords, maybe. I'm really bad at over-under, and let me just say, everybody knows how to do over-under Nobody knows how to teach it. I believe that firmly. But anyway, uh, I digress. I got to sit with four-time Super Bowl champion Matt Millen, uh, color commentator on the broadcast on Saturday, and talk with him with two, uh, three other college student workers about football for like an hour and a half. And that was so special to me on so many levels because, first off, Millen is a great storyteller. And he has a lot of stories to tell. Uh, an 11-year, I believe, or maybe it was 13-year career, uh, spent time with several different teams, including the 49ers, the Raiders, and the formal, uh, formal, or just Washington. We'll just go yeah. with Washington. Yeah, that's probably safe. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they, they had, he had an amazing career and just so many cool stories. And, and his perspective on Nebraska football in general is, is pretty unique, too, in some of the conversations that he told us about that he had with with uh, Frost, which I won't mention here. Um, but it was just really, really entertaining. Um, and, and, again, like you look at things a little bit differently after you hear from someone who's done it, uh, like, like Millen has. So that was really cool. Uh I hope he's on the Iowa game so I can do it again because, because that, that game will be on BTN. I really hope he's there for that because uh, that was really fun. Yeah, uh, you know, I obviously know who Matt Millen is from watching the broadcast, but, man, think about the stories that guy can tell, not only from some of the teams that he was on. The Raiders in their heyday really stand out. That probably would have been a really fun time to be. And Joe Montana. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, yeah. you get you get on that Montana Rice team too. It's funny because if, if you look at his Wikipedia page, I didn't know this, but he was an executive of the Lions yep. when they had their 0-16 season. And on his page, it says he is generally regarded among the worst general managers in the history of modern sports. I'm like, wow, that's a it's bit harsh. harsh. Yeah, it's interesting because it's interesting because he has stories as both a player yeah. and an executive and then even like a commentator too because now right. he's, he's done the thing for fox monday night football on the radio so he truly has done things from every single different perspective so i can't imagine what that was like to pick his brain and to be fair 
I would not regard him among the worst general managers because he drafted a Hall of Famer in Calvin Johnson. Yeah. And then also probably another maybe Hall of Famer in Matt Stafford. Yeah. Well, so, it's hard. I, I think, you know, it's interesting because this is one of the areas I think he er, kind of empathizes with Frost and, like, connects. Like, it's hard to change a bad culture. Yeah. And so that's, I think, kind of what he fell victim to in Detroit a little bit. It's And I think what a lot of people fall victim to in Detroit um, is changing that culture. So Not even God could have saved those Lions. I mean, those no. times when Matt Stafford was hurt, <laughs> some of those seasons, oh, like, and they were just trotting out, like, whoever, like guys like David Sean Blau. Hill. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but this is – I'm thinking 01 through 08. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, like, earlier bad Lions quarterbacks, like Sean Hill, like some of those guys. Well, there's nothing you could do. But that is just very interesting, and I bet that perspective was pretty cool too. Well, unfortunately – Landon had some technical difficulties, but I got to sit down with Dirk Chatlin over Zoom and talk a little bit about the whirlwind of a week for Nebraska football and look ahead to Michigan. All right, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. I'm Grant Hansen, and now we're joined by this week's guest. He is an alumnus of the University of Nebraska and of the Daily Nebraskan itself. The Omaha World Herald's columnist Dirk Chatlin joins the show. Thanks so much for hopping on Scarlet Fever, Dirk. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's look back on last week and man was it a fun weekend if you're a Husker fan really across just about every single sport. Uh, But as you look at the Nebraska football game specifically, is that the most important win of the Scott Frost era thus far? Is it the most complete? That was a lot of discussion post game. Where did it sit for you? Well, I think it was the most complete. I'm not sure it was uh, the most consequential. I think it was a, a really good response to what happened the previous two weeks. And uh, I think, you know, most people inside the program kind of expected, uh, expected a breakout on Saturday. So I, I think, you know, really impressive, really hopeful and optimistic. Uh, I think the bigger game is is coming Saturday, though. You know, they, they really have an opportunity to to rewrite the national narrative to some degree and uh, and to, to give them a huge, you know, a huge lift going into the second half of the season. So I think Saturday night is is the real big one. Uh, last Saturday was was just a great confidence booster across the board. Talk a bit about those additions to the offensive line, specifically the left side. You have Nuili, uh, who comes in there at left guard, and then Teddy Brahashka at left tackle. Do you think that's it? Like, do you think it is an actual upgrade? Do you think it's actually that much better, uh, or is Northwestern just that bad? What what percentage really on either side of that coin do you think Saturday was? Well. Like most performances like this, it's always a little bit of both. You know, I think Nebraska uh, has has found something in the running game. Uh, you know, Jacquez Yant was a was a huge a huge uh, addition to the offense on Saturday night. I think some of the things they did with motion and the option game, and you know, motioning uh, receivers into the backfield, uh, they look like they've been running that for five years, and so that was really impressive. As you mentioned, you know, Teddy Prohaska breaking through and uh, they, they found some new combinations there that I think was, was uh, you know, again, a, a sign of hope. But, 
you know, there's always an element of this that, you know, you focus on the opponent. And I think Northwestern is, was really struggling uh, really the first half of the season. You know, you identify it as more Nebraska or more Northwestern. I think the important thing is that it, it potentially has ramifications going forward. I mean, Nebraska got a huge lift Saturday night just in morale and spirit and confidence. Uh, I think that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, they – Offensively, this this thing has not been humming very well for the last two or three years, uh, and I think Saturday night gives everybody involved uh, reason to believe that it's that it can turn around, and, and it couldn't come at a better time because they're they're really going to see a test here Saturday, and they're going to see you know even bigger tests uh, in the month of November. How much do you think those two struggle against this front from Michigan? on Saturday is it a serious issue do you think or do you think they'll be able to recover and and produce something that is similar uh, if not maybe to the exact standard of the Northwestern game but similar a similar benchmark yeah I think uh, I would guess that the the speed and power of Michigan's front will be noticeably different Uh, and I would imagine that the play calling will you know will be designed to to protect those new guys a little bit or especially early in the game um i don't think you'll probably see a lot of you know go routes on the first play of the game uh and i think you might see a little bit more simplicity uh even in the running game but but you know i think as as it wears on and those guys get their feet wet a little bit against uh, a top 10 team you know i think scott frost is going to want to push the envelope and you know nebraska creatively we've been waiting to see this version of Nebraska's offense now for four years uh, sort of doing things that that you look at and say well you know you can almost imagine Scott Frost drawing that up you know on a piece of paper uh, you know that and I think you know it's it's cool to see Nebraska sort of be innovative again uh, so I would imagine that you're going to see some of that on Saturday night they just have to blend it in a way that that doesn't expose uh, that offensive line to uh you know to pressure and and you know sacks and turnovers and and things that have kind of been the bugaboo of of this offense over the past three years so it's going to be an interesting blend against a great defense talk a little bit about scott's demeanor uh on saturday and it felt noticeably different and i'll I'll give you a little story to kind of highlight how how i felt it felt like he was happier or at least more relaxed uh, and so pregame, about an hour and a half before, he's doing his taped sideline interview for the Big Ten Network. And as soon as he's done, Oliver Martin is taking punts, practicing and warming up before games right behind him. And he sprints away from uh, Elise. I think it was Elise. Uh, I can't remember her last name for the Big Ten Network. But he sprints away from her and he goes and takes the punt from from Oliver Martin and, and runs in front of him and takes that. Uh just kind of a jokingly playing around and like something that I really haven't seen out of Frost in a long time and maybe ever here. Why did you feel like, did you feel like he was looser? Did you feel like he was more relaxed than he had been in the past? And why did you feel like that was? Well, I gotta be honest. I think, I think a lot of this is a result of having a team that you genuinely think is getting better. Um, You know, and it's, I think for a long time, the last really three years, I mean, you have to go all the way back to all the way back to 2018 when a Nebraska team was actually, you know, improving week to week. Um, 
And I think, uh, you know, there, there's been clear signs of progress over the past month. And I'm sure that coaches are seeing it in practice. I'm sure that, you know, uh, the, that morale being high, even after two losses, you know, was something that the, the, the word on, you know, the word in the program last week was just that they knew they were going to play well. Uh, and I think, you know, coaches kind of wear that on their sleeve sometimes. Uh, it was also interesting, the contrast between what you just said and sort of the post-game uh, response, which was, hey, you know, let's not get out over our skis here too much. Uh, that was just one game, and, and we need to get better again next week. So it's psychologically, it's a really interesting juggling act right now where you're trying to infuse your team with confidence. Uh, you're trying to make them believe that they're good enough to beat good teams. And at the same time, you don't want them overreacting to one really good performance. Uh, so I think that's that's a challenge for the coaching staff. But but I do think that Frost is acting like a coach uh, who has confidence in his team and, and who genuinely believes that his team is getting better. And, and you contrast that with what he's had to do over the last three years, which is basically, you know, assure people that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, and, and that was, you know, that was a lot of spin for three years. So uh, I would imagine it's, it's sort of a sigh of relief to have a team that, that justifies uh, the hope right now. When you look at this weekend, really for all of Nebraska athletics, whether it's basketball's opening night uh, or the two volleyball matches this weekend, which both had pretty intense uh, crowds and excited crowds. And then you look, of course, at the football game and that crowd was in it from the start. You think about the thunderstruck, uh, light show between the third and the fourth quarter. What does that do for recruiting, not only for Nebraska football, but really for all the athletic programs here at the university? Yeah, that that whole thing had the feel of a homecoming weekend. I mean, they were they were pulling out all the stops. You know, it was everything from the you know the men's basketball team being down on the field to uh, the Letterman Association and running them running them through, uh, you know, the Jordan Larson festivities, uh, the, the hall of fame Friday. It was, it was really something, uh, a credit to their, to their organization to, you know, to do all that in one weekend. Uh, I think it, it does a lot of things. One, you know, it obviously raises the spirit of your fan base, uh, when you can combine a weekend like that with a dominant football performance, uh, but but like you alluded to, it's a big deal for trying to sell, you know, the next five years to to recruits in every certain, you know, every sport. You know, I would use the basketball team as an example. I mean, they they drew a big circle around that Saturday and said, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a banner recruiting weekend for us. Uh, and we've got to really, you know, show out. And I think the football team helped helped with that greatly. Uh, recruiting is interesting in football right now because they don't they don't need a big class and I think it's sort of trending toward more transfers anyway so the the irony of you know the irony of, of what they did in football Saturday night is that it might have helped everybody else's recruiting more than it helped themselves um, so you know that doesn't mean that they can't that they can't bring in a really good class but this was not a typical you know um uh, I don't, I don't think Nebraska is going to reap the benefits uh, with, with a banner recruiting class this year. And uh, that's, that's sort of ironic considering, 
you know, what a great event Saturday night's game was. Do you think Nebraska, as we turn our attention to the Michigan game on Saturday night, do you think they can match up offensively with that defensive front? Uh, and can they go toe-to-toe with the Michigan offense? Well, I don't think the issue is Nebraska's defense can play with anybody at this point. Uh, and that includes Ohio State. That includes – you know, I would say most of the best offenses in the country, uh, I would feel very comfortable putting Nebraska on the same field. The The issue is, you know, is is still offensive line. It's the offensive line uh, protect run game, you know, not only to control the ball, but also uh, potentially give, you know, Martinez a chance to make some big plays. So uh, to me, that's the side of the ball worth really worth watching. I mean, I think this Michigan team is very talented. Uh, I think they, you know, are, have pretty much dominated everybody they've played. Uh, Adrian Martinez can make plays against anybody. He just has to have the opportunity. He has to have time. And I think that's really the, the crux of the matter on Saturday night. Is Nebraska the most talented team that Michigan has played this year? I don't, I don't know if they're more talented than, you know, than Wisconsin. Um, I think Nebraska's, you know, the, you know, the, the, the whole is really greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, that's nothing against the parts, but I think it's really good coaching. And the fact that these guys have been together so long, uh, you know, I think it's really impressive what Nebraska's done defensively, but Wisconsin, you got to remember, Wisconsin has played Notre Dame. Uh, you know, they played Michigan and, and they played uh, Penn state and, and Nebraska, you know, for as good as Michigan state and Oklahoma are, it's it's not quite the same thing. So uh, I, I think I think uh, you know to me that the real interesting question is will Michigan have a little bit of a letdown because Wisconsin was an emotional game for them. Uh, you know they they've struggled at Wisconsin over the years. Wisconsin is supposed to be higher in the in the hierarchy than Nebraska. Uh, so I think you know Nebraska might have a chance Saturday night to catch to catch Michigan in a little bit of a letdown where I think Nebraska, you know, is, is building, building up toward this game. So uh, the first quarter on Saturday night is going to be really interesting. When you look at uh, Thomas Fedoni, that was one of the big news uh, pieces from this week. He's made his return to practice. Do you think uh, he comes back this week? Maybe it's Purdue after the bye, or do you think they save him for the last four games of the season to redshirt him? Well, you nailed it. I mean, it's that four game limit that, that you're keeping an eye on. So I would imagine that Nebraska will uh, at least wait until after the, after the bye week uh, And, you know, at that point you can use him freely, but, but some of this is going to be, you know, injury dependent too. I think, you know, if, if, if Austin Allen gets dinged up a little bit, you know, that may have an effect on it. Uh, I think Fedoni is, is going to be a great player, but I wouldn't say that he's, you know, needed right now. So uh, I would imagine that they'll play it a little bit slow with him and, and try to protect him. When you look at college football in general, we have Alabama, Georgia. Most people are pretty confident in those two teams. I certainly am. But, man, after that, I don't feel like Iowa's the number three team in the country. I don't feel like Penn State's the number four team in the country. These two teams match up this week. Listen, I don't think they're – I think they're too high. But at the same time, I don't know who I put in front of them. Uh, how do you view the landscape of college football as we enter into this next week and that Penn State and Iowa matchup in Iowa City? Well, you're right. I mean, I think Georgia and Alabama are 
are a cut above. Um, you know, I think there's some, some intriguing teams, you know, Cincinnati is, is intriguing. And, uh, I think Texas is kind of intriguing. You know, I think if, if they can win on Saturday, I think they're prepared to, to maybe go on a big run. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, I think the big 10 really needs to just focus on itself right now. I think the big 10 will get a playoff spot just because of the strength of the league. Um, but whether that's, you know, Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan, Iowa is, is pretty hard to, you know, to predict right now. Uh, I think if Iowa can get by Saturday, they have a very good chance of being 12 and 0 and, and that would be pretty extraordinary. Uh, they obviously did that six years ago. Um, I think this team might be a little bit more, a little bit more talented, uh, but sort of a, a similar style. Um, you know, I think the Penn state is, is more battle tested than Iowa. They've been in, you know, closer games. Um, but Kinnick stadium is a tough place to play for a road team. So, uh, I think that, you know, people will, will sort of roll their eyes at number three, Iowa versus number four, Penn State. But I think that will be a really great college football game. Uh, we might look back at the end of the year and say those teams were more like, you know, 10 and 15. Uh, but but I think regardless of that, it's going to be it's going to be kind of a must watch Big Ten game. Lastly, as you look at this game on Saturday for Nebraska, against Michigan what's the biggest thing you're looking for at that 630 kick is it the crowd is it how Nebraska starts the game maybe with a big play like they did against Northwestern what is the biggest thing you're looking for from a Huskers perspective on Saturday night well I think it's the ability to run the ball and protect Adrian Martinez Uh, I think that's the key to the game and that's that's not new Uh, it's not rocket science but I think it's it's the key to Nebraska's success. So if Adrian has a chance, uh, I think he'll make enough plays to win the game. But that offensive line is going to have to play. You know, they're going to have to grow up pretty fast. Uh, There's some young guys there, and and they're going to have to grow up. And uh, it's going to be a great test. I think, you know, the black shirts will bring it. I don't anticipate Michigan will score a bunch of points. But but that offense has to, you know, to to run like they did last week, that the offensive line has got to protect uh they've got to execute they've got to avoid penalties so i think that's really the the critical issue going into saturday all right well thanks so much for joining us dirk here on scarlet fever landon and i continue the football discussion next all right everyone that was dirk chatlin from the Omaha world herald again part of the DN back in the day. It was a master class of, uh, I think Dirk was at the tail end of that group of uh, Sean Callahan, Sam McEwen, uh, Robin Washett, Evan Bland, uh, even Lincoln Ardeal from the All World Herald who covers volleyball. I mean, that was that was a really amazing like 10 to 15 year stretch of, of, of talent that came out of the DN back then. Yeah, now it sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonder who's leading that sorry band of idiots. No, yeah. uh, it, it's true. And I've said this on this podcast before. It really is crazy to look at the uh, sports uh, senior editor poster that's hanging mm. up in our corner and just all the names on there 
uh, that currently work in Nebraska media. Right. And then on top of that, the people that have been reporters. So it's really cool. And yes, I did have technical difficulties, but, you know, really appreciate Dirk taking some time out of his busy schedule and, you know, hopping on the podcast. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, let's look on your thoughts. You know, you give it a little bit of your thoughts on the Thunderstruck stuff, but, you know, as you look back on that Northwestern game, what was the biggest takeaway for you? Yeah, um, there are a lot to choose from. But the thing to me that sticks out is just the play of the offensive line. I don't think that you can really tell the story of last Saturday's game without talking about a unit that maybe aside from special teams has been the most maligned, the most talked about, the most criticized, the most everything. Before I left for Tulsa, I actually did get a tip from my buddy that is a video guy for the football program that the offensive line was going to get reshuffled a little bit and told me what to expect. Of course, that's how things actually ended up playing out. Right. And, you know, my biggest thing was, okay, how is this going to, how are these guys going to look? How are they going to operate? Of course, Northwestern isn't the same Northwestern defense that it had last year that had dudes at every position, won the Big Ten West, allowing like 11 points per game, it seemed like, in conference play. But they still had a couple of pieces from that squad. Uh, Chris Bergen's no joke at linebacker. They've got a couple nice pieces in the secondary. So it wasn't a bunch of slouches that Nebraska was able to run over for 400-plus yards. But, man, did the offensive line look good. Noli was a huge addition and really looked solid. The way they flipped the tackles made a lot of sense. Yep. Adrian Martinez looked pretty calm in the pocket and didn't have to run for his life too frequently. Uh, and I think that also goes to the coaching staff working to get Martinez some easier reads to uh, in coverage and things of the like but the offensive line held up really well they weren't penalized for any false start penalties until in the second half when the second string unit right. was in so there was just so, there was so much good but the play of the offensive line for me is the overarching takeaway from that game yeah I, I have to agree with you there and I I, I also knew ahead of time that this was going to be this was going to be going down because I was at practice on Friday because we're helping set up for BTN and uh, you know, I, I could see it was Teddy and uh, New really taking taking snaps in there with the with the ones, and so you know, you kind of knew you knew it was coming. Uh, and man, did it pay off! And again, all those linemen are underclassmen, except for maybe your right guard. So that is that's a big thing. And and if if this week, and I and I know, which I like this by the way, I liked how Scott. Uh, talked in his halftime interview in the post game. You know, this this is just one game. I like that. That's all. That that's all good psychological indicators and good lines. Um, but here's the thing. You don't decimate a Division One program like this and have it be just because the other team was bad. Like you don't you don't decimate another another opponent in Division One without doing any work. Without without being a big part of the reason why you did what you did, right? So that's to me that's the biggest thing. Like that doesn't just happen, right? Yeah, and I mean that's takeaway number two. What Frost had to say after the game, he was very very cautious about you know reading too much into this and the false hope and things like that. But it's hard to look at a game against an interdivisional conference opponent that you bludgeon and just say okay. Cool. And you never do, like generally. Yeah, ever. that Nebraska has never done under Frost. I think that was the biggest right. win of his tenure. I uh, didn't well, even it's the biggest. It was that. the biggest win of his tenure. It was the biggest win in a conference game since I believe the last year of the Bill Callahan era oh. against K State. Right. So you can't not put stock into that, right? It was, you know, in addition to 
how well the offensive line played and how well the running back room in particular played. One of the things to me that I've been thinking about a little bit and I talked about in my column postgame was, for me, the moment where the floodgates really opened when Nebraska was up 21-7. Northwestern had already responded with one touchdown drive, a nice little drive that Ryan Holinsky put together and right. was on the doorstep for another when JoJo Doman and DeAndre Thomas blew up what looked to be a zone read concept on the goal line. Uh, you know, Ryan Holinsky and Evan Hull couldn't get the ball sorted. Fumble, Nebraska recovers, pretty much game over. Northwestern doesn't even enter the red zone after that. So Nebraska's defense starting to be a little bit more timely mm-hmm. is something that I think could be really, really important, important too. Because as you know, as a Chiefs fan, when I sit back and watch the Chiefs on Sunday, the problem with the Chiefs defense right now is that they aren't timely. They can't get off the field on third and fourth downs. They yep. can't force the big turnovers. They can't make the you know, you know, the Chiefs aren't getting sacks either. But you know, those two things mainly. And while Nebraska isn't a huge sack team, Nebraska's defense is incredibly timely, and that proves you know itself more apparent week in and week out. That stop against Northwestern is an example. The fact that Northwestern had a couple of fourth down opportunities late in the game and continued to not be able to get through the door, even when it was cracked open a little bit. So the way Nebraska's defense continues to be in those aspects just is was a really encouraging sign as well against the Wildcats and something I take pretty good stock in, even though, you know, Frost is saying to not take a lot from last Saturday. Well, let's move into one two and you here is both of us had different weeks. Uh I had my first 3-0 week, which, oof, finally. I got that Connecticut game right, the toilet bowl. Uh, that's the one I'm the most proud of. But uh, Landon also had a different week, a push. We had our first push, uh, 0-2-1 for Landon, but that Texas line was an even five points when we made the bet on Wednesday, and they won by five. Yeah. Weird. Um, I So... On the way back from Tulsa, I was trying to study for a management test. The Wi-Fi between Oklahoma and Kansas is terrible, but (laughs) I was also following along with the games I picked, and when I got back to my house and, you know, got ready quick, showered before I drove to Lincoln, I saw that Texas was up 32-20 and on the goal line, like, of TCU's goal line. I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is fine. They're going to cover. We're good. I guess Texas somehow didn't score a touchdown and just went for it and didn't get it. And not only that, they then allow TCU to go 96 yards and score with like three minutes left, and then after that, they just run out the clock. I'm like, nice, cool, a push. <laughs> so that's a new one for me for sure. Yeah, so Landon now 6-8-1 on the year. I am 7-8 and eight after the 3-0 and oh week. We will talk about the Nebraska game uh, against Michigan in our picks there. So... Again, a reminder, we're picking against the spread, our top two favorite bets of the week, plus the Nebraska game. Landon at 6-8-1, your first pick. Yeah, I was really tempted to follow your mold a little bit and really break down the, the real true toilet bowl this weekend between hmm. 0-6 UConn and 0-5 UMass. Oh. I didn't want to dig that deep into the trenches, so I decided to go with something that seems like a no-brain. Two my, both of my picks, to me, Seem pretty, you know, easy, but of course things happen and get the game's the game. But it's on true. paper, the first one is Alabama and Texas A&M. So last week, Ole Miss opened as 20 and a half point underdogs to Alabama. That line eventually hovered around somewhere near two touchdowns by the time the game started. To me, 
A&M should be a way bigger underdog than what Ole Miss opened at. I get the the whole, like, oh, it's at Kyle Field, the 12th man, like, blah blahdy blah And I would agree if this A&M team was any semblance of healthy, but they're not. I mean, you lose your quarterback. Calzada, it's a tough situation to be thrown in midway through the season in the SEC against a real string of tough opponents. So you lose to Arkansas with Calzada at the helm, then turn around and lose to Mississippi State. I think this is an A&M team that I already wasn't high on from the beginning of the season when they had all their pieces. I'm even less high on them now, and I think it's kind of a team that's dead in the water, for lack of a better word. I think Alabama is going to go into Kyle Field and absolutely dismantle AM. The spread is 18. I've got Bama by 25. They were able to make the game against Ole Miss non-competitive from the jump, which was super impressive to me. Alabama is 1 or 1A, depending on how you like to look at things in college football. And I think they went 38-13 to on Saturday and leave the uh, 12th man going home a little bit early. So I like Alabama minus 18. Well, I'll have to go with uh, 1A or 1B here with Georgia. Georgia goes at Auburn. Auburn ranked 18th, Georgia number two. Georgia favored by 14 and a half. I think Georgia covers this thing easily, 34 to seven. They're coming off a huge win against Arkansas, in which Arkansas really never had a shot from the beginning. I mean, they just absolutely blew the doors off the Razorbacks. And Auburn struggled with LSU this last week, 14 and a half. I think Georgia deserves more than that. I think they win 34-7. Yeah, nice pick. I that LSU Auburn game was really weird, and Bo Nix is going to get eaten alive by Georgia's I, I, defense. I just I can't imagine that Bo Nix is going to be successful at all. I'm I'm saying that Bo Nix turns the ball over four times. <laughs> that yeah. that game will not be close at all. So I like that pick. Pick number two for Landon. Yeah, uh, you're. I'm walking everyone through my mental process here, but I was really thinking about taking Kentucky against LSU, but I did not. I pivoted to another game where I thought the line was really weird. Michigan State Rutgers. I'm not really sure what we're doing here. This this line that I will get to feels like a bit of a discount. This is the second year in a row now where Rutgers has gotten off to this great surprise start. Everyone's kind of talked them up a little bit. A game of significant important happens, whether home or away, and Rutgers gets embarrassed. Ohio State destroyed see Rutgers that last week. No contest. It it was Rutgers' biggest home game in God knows how long, uh, and they were just it was non-competitive from the jump. I think Ohio State was up fourteen nothing within the first five minutes, and that was really a tone setter. Michigan State, meanwhile, in terms of how I project the Big Ten, it's kind of like Iowa, Ohio State, and then this tier that consists of Penn State, Michigan State. I'm not going to get into the rest, but I think Michigan State is a tier below Ohio State. So to me, when I see that Michigan State's only favored by five points, it it causes me to pause a little bit. You know, there won't be a weird time zone thing. Like, it is at Rutgers, but Michigan State's an East Coast squad, I think. Yeah, it's it's East Coast. So they're used to, you know, having that 11 a.m. slash noon kickoff. I'm not really sure what we're doing here. It, it, the only argument is maybe Michigan State starts slow, but the Spartans' offense has looked really good. I think Kenneth Walker is going to run all over Rutgers. And, you know, love me some Noah Vedral, but that Ohio State game really opened some eyes as to his, you know, inefficiencies and limitations in the passing game, I would say. Mm. 
I think that Michigan State's going to win this one pretty easily. I have 31-20, but it could easily be a more convincing victory than that. I love Michigan State minus five. It's my favorite pick of the week. Yeah, that one. That one's good too. I. It's just like the Western Kentucky thing. People thought that Western Kentucky had a shot at up, upsetting Michigan State, and, I, and Maryland had a shot at upsetting Iowa. I, I thought both of that those ideas were ludicrous, and I think yeah. this is the same. Yeah. My second pick of the week is the number four, number three team in the country as it stands now. Uh, well, as I talk with Dirk, I don't think either of these teams are Iowa hosting Penn State. Iowa minus two. This line is interesting to me because I don't understand at all why Penn State is within two points. This to me is a four or a five point line. Iowa is the favorite. I don't think Clifford is very good. I don't think the offensive line for Penn State is very good. And that is a bad, bad combo against that Iowa defense. Listen, the offense doesn't have to do a whole lot for Iowa to be successful. Right, they just have to not turn the ball over, and maybe you get a big play out of Keegan, uh, Keegan Johnson, uh, or Tyler Goodson, or Goodson. Right, e- either of those two guys can can really give you some pop. Uh, but as long as you don't turn the ball over, you're going to be fine. I think that's the way Iowa's going to play for the rest of the year because that defense is just that good. And again, that offense did not look bad against uh, Maryland, by the way. So, I think Iowa wins at 23-14. I there's no way. I, I just, well, there is a way, but I, I don't think Penn State can do it in Kinnick. Yeah, I am this podcast number one um, Iowa fraud, Iowa's fraudulent flag holder here, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't like the way Iowa plays football, but even I can admit that, that performance against Maryland was, was extremely good. impressive. And not only that, if Iowa beats Penn State, they're going to win out. I'm just going to put that out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nebraska's Nebraska, honestly, from Iowa's remaining schedule, if assuming Iowa wins on Saturday against Penn State, which I think they will as well, I think Iowa's probably going to win out up until that Nebraska game, and Nebraska's going to be the team with the best shot to beat. I'm not saying Nebraska will or won't. There's a lot that can change in two months, but Iowa's schedule after this for those uh, you know not with it right in front of them after this Penn State game, Iowa hosts Purdue, goes at Wisconsin, at Northwestern, hosts Minnesota, hosts Illinois, and then finishes with Nebraska on Black Friday. That is about as soft of a five-game Big Ten stretch as you're going to find. So, yeah, uh, it makes me it pains me to admit it, but I do think Iowa wins, and they probably went out, too. It makes me sad. All right, here we go. The NU, Nebraska, and number nine, Michigan. Under the lights at 6.30 at Memorial Stadium, Michigan is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. What's the biggest key as you look at this game? Yeah, uh, it's going to be how the offensive line looks. That you know, Last Saturday was a great performance, but Northwestern doesn't have a guy like Aiden Hutchinson rushing, rushing the quarterback. So Michigan averages, I didn't look at it, but I think they sacked Wisconsin seven times or something like it last week. Nebraska is going to have to keep Adrian Martinez upright if it wants a shot to win. So that means the offensive line is going to need to play a disciplined game, going to need to play a penalty-free or penalty-limited game, and it's going to need to be creative in how it uh, you know, disengages a guy like Hutchinson from this game. If Nebraska's offensive line is able to put together its second-best performance of the year, assuming that last week's was its first, it will ha- Nebraska will have a puncher's chance because all of the performances aside from the Northwestern game 
have been pretty brutal, uh, not really taking too much stock into Fordham, you know, including that. If Nebraska's offensive line can play its second-best performance of the year, I'll give them a shot. So how the offensive line looks is the biggest thing to me. And the second thing is Shenander versus what a team does really well. Nebraska's defense in the last couple of weeks, its calling card has been it's able to take away what the opponents do best. Against Michigan State, it's the run. Nebraska limits it. Against Oklahoma, it's the big play. Nebraska limits that. Against Buffalo, it's the run. Now you have a team in Michigan that comes to Memorial Stadium that runs the ball about 70% of the time. 70% of the time that Michigan runs a play, it's a run. Michigan averages about 65 plays a game, 46 of those are runs. So there is no secret what Michigan wants to come in and do on Saturday night. Michigan wants to be physical, impose its will on the line, and run. If Nebraska is able, as it has been in the past, to limit the effectiveness of guys like Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, again, the Huskers have a punching chance. That's the second thing I'm looking for. And then the third thing on my list is who's going to be Nebraska's guy at the running back position. Jock has Yant. I'm very sad that I should have said his name earlier, but the fact that we're getting into him now is good. He was awesome right. against Northwestern. I really liked him in the spring. It was a bummer that, you know, we found out post game he came a little bit out of shape to the fall, which is why he wasn't a significant contributor right away. But I think that is a guy that could be a real huge piece for Nebraska down the stretch. I personally, if I were a defender in the second level, let's say, I would want no part of tackling Jock has yet. Mm. He's big, he's physical, and he has enough breakaway speed to get by those second-level defenders. So if Jock has yet is running full speed at me, that's a guy that can wear a defense down if you give him 15, 17 carries. Uh, and then you mix in guys like Sevion Morrison or Ramir Johnson to really spell that. So how Nebraska deploys the running backs is the third thing I'm looking for on Saturday. What do you think about special teams? You know, Nebraska fair caught basically every punt uh well yeah did they did they, yeah not basically they did fair catch every punt uh you had only had the one punt but it goes 84 yards on the roll uh is that enough to make you feel confident or at least not pessimistic about the special teams i like fair catching it it beats letting it roll to the one as long as you don't muff the punt you know i'm okay with just fair catching it and seeing what happens but that was a case where your offensive you knew that northwestern's defensive personnel couldn't bear to stop your offense it wasn't going to happen in this case you maybe have to play a little bit more aggressive yeah um i do agree that how like passive nebraska was on special teams was a result of the game being so non-competitive early personally i'm team fair catch everything if you're a guy without a real dynamic return threat, apparently, I mean, from what we've seen, Nebraska isn't willing to unleash a guy like Xavier Betts. So when you're a team that doesn't really have, like, a lot of great options at the kick returning spot and at punt returner, just fair catch everything. Take a guy back there that can catch it, make smart decisions on when to let it bounce, when to let it not, and just go from there. Against Michigan, you might see Nebraska get a little bit more aggressive in the return game. Um, you know, again, that's kind of, you know, dependent on how the game goes. Uh, the punting was nice. I think that the 84-yard punt was really big for Pristip's confidence, mm. especially after a horrible week for Nebraska's punters at Michigan State. And, you know, 7 for 7 on extra – wait, no. 8 for 8 on extra points, yeah. right, from uh, Connor Culp. So it was a better week for the special teams. I do fear, though, in a game that could come right down to it, it's easy to make those plays when things are going really well and there's no adversity. The last time we've seen Nebraska special teams face some adversity – Things didn't go particularly well. So if that's the case on Saturday, what I'm looking at there 
is for that trend to be bucked and for that unit to prove that they're capable of doing it when it seriously matters when the lights are on. All right, it's time. Give us your prediction. So I've kind of been alluding to it. I really like the way Nebraska's been playing recently. I think the game against Northwestern was really big for the team's confidence going forward. However, I am not I'm I'm the type of person when it comes to analyzing things and predicting things. I'm a more believe it when I see it type. For me, I need to see Nebraska special teams perform well when the game is tight and it really matters. I need to see Nebraska's offensive line hold up for 60 minutes and protect Adrian Martinez and avoid the 15-yard penalties, the false starts, and, you know, the like. Because of that, I cannot pick Nebraska to win this game, but I am very happy to be proven wrong at some point. So for now... I do like Nebraska to cover the three-and-a-half-point spread, but I am going to pick Michigan to win this game 21-20. to You know, I look at it a little bit different way. I think this is the most anticipated night game in a long time, and I think this is different than either of the Ohio State games because you look at that, that game and, uh, man, uh, yeah, Husker <laughs> fans were excited, but nobody I really thought had that Nebraska, thought that Nebraska had a legitimate puncher's chance to win that game. And this is different. This is different on so many levels. And I think this team is finally ready to break to break through. You go on the road to a ranked opponent in Oklahoma, and you just fall short. And you go on the road to a ranked opponent in Michigan State, and you basically have that game won, but you still fall short because you made a late mistake. And here against Michigan at home, I think the third time's the charm. You're going to have the fans behind this team, you're going to have a lot of emotion, I think. And this is it, right? Like, this is a chance here to change the whole tenor of the season. Because you win this game, there's a good shot you finish 7-5 and five or better. Uh, and you almost certainly are going bowling. Unless something you know, traumatic happens down the line. So, I, I think there's a lot of momentum here with Nebraska. I think there's a lot of intensity for this team. And I truly, truly believe Nebraska is the most talented team that Michigan has played thus far this year. And listen, I get it. I would say Wisconsin's defense is more talented than Nebraska's. But you look at that offense, and I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, that offense is basically the visual equivalent of nails on a chalkboard. It is bad. And so I think Nebraska overall is more talented than Wisconsin, uh, who many would say is the most talented team that Michigan has played. I think Nebraska gets it done. 17-13, they win outright and move to 4-3 and three on the year. Yeah, I, I, I could see that happening, and I would love to be proven wrong, but based on what I've seen, I can't pull that trigger quite yet. I do think Nebraska is the most talented team Michigan's played. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin is its whole own other mess, but this is you, you do make a good point that this could be what flips it a little bit. Nebraska's got the ranked opponents, the Ohio State, the Iowa, the Michigan – it's all at home. And the road games are suddenly looking a lot friendlier with Minnesota not having Mo Ibrahim and being in its whole own weird place at the moment. And uh, I was going to say the other road game. Oh, Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, Wisconsin just and being generally poor. Right. Purdue's at home. But oh, Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. Wisconsin just being generally not, right. <laughs> not good. So... There are opportunities here for Nebraska to do this thing and flip it 
the season completely on its head and go bowling, a win Saturday would go a really long way in getting that done. And I'm very fascinated to see whether or not it can happen. Yeah, there's no piece on that Wisconsin offense that should scare this Nebraska defense. No, there's none. no piece. Quarterback uh, to offensive line yeah. to skill positions, there's nothing. That's one of the biggest surprises the, right. for me of this season, just how much of so a, a, tra- a train wreck Wisconsin's been. I will be – I don't know what Nebraska's record is in Camp Randall all time. It's probably pretty bad. Uh, but I can suspect that whether if Nebraska hasn't won there yet, they're going to do that this year. So that's that'll be pretty fun. All right. Well, that'll do it for us on 1-2-N-U. So Landon goes with Alabama to cover the 18-point spread against Texas A&M. Also, Michigan State to cover the five-point spread against Rutgers. So we go – Double favorites in our non-Nebraska picks because I go with Georgia, fourteen and a half point favorite to cover against Auburn, and Iowa, a two-point favorite at home to cover against Penn State, win 23-14. Now we differ on the Nebraska pick. For now, Landon believes Michigan wins at 21-20, but Nebraska covers. I think Nebraska wins it outright 17 to 13. Coming up next on Scarlet Fever, we dig into Husker volleyball and look back on Nebraska basketball's opening night welcome back to scarlet fever now time to talk nebraska volleyball as the huskers have swept their last three opponents iowa michigan state and Michigan, and the big story out of this last week came Friday night, the return of Lauren Stiverens. And Nebraska looked about as good as they have had, they've looked all year against Michigan Friday. Yeah, uh, maybe we might have been a bit too uh, preemptive on the whole get right week thing because yeah, this, maybe it was this, this week. This, this kind of felt like it with football winning in such a convincing manner, and then Lauren Stiverens coming back and volleyball just dominating. So, yeah, uh, Nebraska volleyball, it's its pretty apparent that they're a completely different team with her on the floor. Two really impressive victories over the weekend. Uh, you know, it's probably not against the greatest opponents in the world, right. but it's, you know, much needed repetition and things that the team needs, especially working a piece like Stiverance back into the fold. So overall, a very solid weekend and just awesome to see Stiverance back. I missed the yes. slide, man. That's oh, my man. favorite thing ever. Well, and, and again, the Big Ten, man, it's just hard to get wins. Right. It is yeah. hard to get wins, period, in the Big Ten. And so to get those against Michigan State, who is probably going to end up on the bottom half, and Michigan, who will be somewhere in the middle, I think, by the time this year is all said and done, that's big. Uh, the second and third sets against Michigan State were not as sharp, uh, th- those being on Sunday, as, as the ones against Michigan on Friday night. But Lawrence Difference also played less uh, on Sunday. So they're monitoring her jumps. Again, you, you got to keep track of that, especially with volleyball injuries, whether it's you know something along the leg or ankle side uh, or, or back in this case. Uh, you got to keep track of that. So they're, they are looking at that. Nebraska up two spots. In the ABCA coaches poll, uh, now number 10 in the country. Big Ten has five teams in the top 10, including Nebraska. The others, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue, uh, all making up that group. So Huskers don't play another ranked opponent until Purdue, except for this week. They meet up with Penn State in Happy Valley. They also go to Rutgers. So a big road trip ahead for Nebraska. It's a big showdown on Friday night. 
Yeah, uh, against Penn State. Penn State's hot. A uh, team that's mm. coming in winning six, winners of six in a row. Uh, definitely a team that can't be taken lightly and will be a huge test for, okay, now, we had a little bit of a rough patch the back half of a non-conference schedule, but if these past three matches have taught us anything, it appears the team's starting to whip back into form a little bit. So this game on Friday night will be a huge test to see just how much progress Nebraska's made since the non-conference slate ended. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of result Nebraska you know, can get in a hostile environment on the road against a very, very good Penn State team. So it's a huge test for Cook's team, and I'm looking forward to see whether or not they're up for it. Yeah, and again, after that game, Huskers don't play another ranked opponent until the October 23rd matchup with Purdue. Now, that does begin a stretch of three straight ranked Big Ten opponents. That's, that's a big stretch in the middle of the schedule. Again, it's Certainly backloaded as opposed to front-loaded for Nebraska, but you face Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Purdue all in a row there. And it's, it is fascinating to me, as I wrote that Friday night uh, story against Michigan, how much the insertion of Lawrence Stibbons into the lineup changes everything for this team. I mean, it really opens up a lot of stuff, especially for those outside hitters. Yeah, uh, she she can create so much, and just her her presence on the court, right? It right. it demands attention. It's like when you know football. It's like when football teams have a standout wide receiver, or basketball teams have a knockdown shooter, someone that can change the game instantaneously with one or two plays. Lawrence Stevens's present on presence on the court demands attention, and that really does it, and it can just free up opportunities for so many other people. Because when you know the ball is being set and players are moving, that's you have to key in on her because you can't afford not to. Otherwise, she'll make you pay. So, it, her presence really just opens up so many more possibilities for Nebraska. Another note from Sunday's match against Michigan State: Allie Batenhorst played the first two sets, but was replaced by Lexi's son. In the third, for Batenhorst, 21 attacks, three kills. Not converting, I think, at John Cook standards, and then you see Lexi's son enter in there as the sun watch continues. Played pretty well, and uh, we'll just have to see week to week. It just seems like it's based off of how she performs in practice compared to some of the other outside hitters. Yeah, and, you know, that's one of the benefits of having such a deep team, right? Allie Batenhorst is a, you know, freshman, still learning the ins and outs, still working on that consistent level of play that's required for a competitive conference like the Big Ten. The benefit of that when things aren't going well is you have an experienced player like Lexi Son right behind her that can step in and, you know, fill that role more than, you know, admirably. So it's just a testament to depth, honestly, and it will be interesting to see how that shakes itself out. It does seem to be based a lot on, you know, who's the most consistent in practice, and it's very easy to make that change. Well, again, Nebraska, Penn State on Friday night. That is on BTN. And then Rutgers on BTN Plus. That comes to you Sunday afternoon. So the Huskers on a little East Coast trip. This weekend, you'll have to pay attention to that. Let's turn our attention to Husker basketball. Opening night was also Friday, and that was a lot of fun for both the men's and the women's programs. By the way, i got to say this, but I know we're going to spend majority of the time here talking about the men's. Uh, but, man, that women's team has a shot to be really, really interesting. And that bottom – like right now they'll be picked in the bottom half of the Big Ten. I think they could be pretty sneaky good. No, yeah, I mean – the women's team has really consistently improved under under Amy Williams, and it's been cool to track that progression. 
I mean, last year, Nebraska was projected to not do a whole lot, I would think, and then, you know, have a pretty solid year, finish at or near 500, get that berth to the women's NIT, and then also play Maryland really, really close in the conference tournament in Indianapolis and was really close to beating them, too. And Maryland was a team that, if memory serves, was like either undefeated or had just one loss all season and was a one seed in the NCAA tournament. So that momentum seems to be carrying over uh, for them. I know the the women's NIT run wasn't the greatest, but that confidence of being able to go toe-to-toe with a team like Maryland, especially after the Terps, again, if memory serves, beat Nebraska really, really badly twice in the first time in the regular season. So this team is steadily improving, and they have a nice crop of incoming players, too, that'll, you know, serve to that as well. So. I think the most interesting thing about the women's team last year is they played very much to the level of their competition. Right. They really played well in the big games against the opponents that they were not supposed to beat. In fact, they beat some of them. Yeah. But when it came down to some of the other teams in the Big Ten, they should have beaten and beaten easily. They struggled and sometimes lost. And so whether that was Wisconsin uh, or uh, at times Purdue, that was a that was a struggle. But a lot of the pieces are back. Sam Hybe among among them. Uh, it was interesting listening to Amy Williams' press conference. Being there on, uh, on on Monday, she said several players were in their element Friday night, and that was one of the fun things to see too. Is players for both the men's and the women's team, and really throughout the weekend, having a lot of fun and being out there, and you know, getting to see some of their personalities. Yeah, that's like one of the biggest things that opening night allows. You see these players on the court, you might see them in media availability and stuff, but the biggest thing that opening night does is it endears a lot of these players, both on the men's and women's team, to the fans. You really get to learn more about them, what music they like. Wilhelm Breedenpack walking out to Taylor Swift is a funny example of that and professing his, you know, admiration for her music on Twitter after. But uh, you really get to find out a lot more about these players, and it really helps you connect when you're watching them week in and week out because you really get the sense of you know like you know them almost I mean you get to find out a lot see you know how they act when the you know stakes aren't super high and yeah it's, it's a really fun thing and I'm glad that it's able to be back in such a capacity after COVID took it away last year well let's look at some of the takes that we can give you on the men's team we'll each give you three here as we wind down on Scarlet Fever my first thing this team's deep like, like there there's this team is about 10 guys deep here that you could feel really confident in. And, and Coach Whipper is going to struggle to, I think, to establish a rotation that he's like, yes. Like, there's going to be some, like, comparisons here to John Cook in terms of, like, uh, picking out which guys do you want to start. And, you know, obviously they're not at the talent level compared to Nebraska volleyball where it's like, well, we've got the best recruiting class in the country, right? Like, it's not that. Uh, but still, some tough decisions to make. Right, yeah. I had a tweet over the summer uh, when Nebraska had announced that it had signed Alonzo Verge saying that, yeah, I think this is a guy that can come in and start. And I got a little bit of brushback on that, but looks like I'm right. Ha, take that. Um, But yeah, no, they're... Jason Hahn, uh, the assistant, our assistant sports editor and men's basketball beat reporter, when Hoiberg spoke a couple Mondays ago, talked about that very fact that Hoiberg is going to have some difficulties putting together a solid rotation. And it's a good problem to have because, man, it's definitely an improvement over last year in times where he would just have six players available. Right. So it's a good problem to have, I think. Second big thing to be, they can finally shoot. I mean, Casey Tominaga is is a big part of it, right? Uh, you Seeing him hit threes while sitting on the bench, wild. Um uh, I think one of my biggest questions about him was his release, how quick his release is, 
and how quick the speed of the game from the JUCO level to the collegiate level was going to cause some trouble for him. I don't know if it will. Uh, so that's really exciting to hear. And it's going to open a lot of things up for Fred Hoiberg's offense that was very uh, and still is very much based in how quickly you can get shots off, uh, and especially from beyond the arc and that opening things up in the middle. Now he finally has the shooters to do that. Yeah, Nebraska under Hoiberg has been a team that likes to shoot outside shots a bunch because that's Hoiberg's system, but can't make any of them. So having a guy like Tominaga in there that is just has that reputation as a knockdown shooter will be huge. It might. I, I personally think it might take him a little bit of time to get acclimated, and that's why these beginning exhibition games and early non-conference games that are sort of cupcakes are really going to be beneficial for him. On top of that, you have guys like Alat Mayen, who has you know the capability of being an outside shooting threat. Kobe Webster can hit threes. Trey McGowan's has proven capable of uh, stepping back there, and, and I'm assuming Bryce can too. So, yeah, there are a lot of players that can actually shoot the ball competently on Nebraska, and it's something I'm looking forward to seeing. Hopefully that three-point percentage goes up, because sure knows Nebraska shoots a lot of them. Last one, this one's a big one to me. Fred finally has a roster in back-to-back years. And it shows. And I think it's going to show on the court that he's got pieces from the year behind who can actually work over the summer uh, with that, without having to deal with COVID. Uh, and, and that group can become cohesive with some of the new additions as well. I'm excited to see that and see how that plays out. Yeah, uh, we've talked about COVID-19 having an impact on how we viewed football teams from last year to this year. I think it's going to have a huge impact mm. on how we view basketball teams. I mean, by by the end of last year, year nebraska was playing like once every other night basically to make up for all those lost games over over their COVID 19 pause and that's not really the best way to gain a lot of progress and get good results because you're playing guys that are dead tired most nights so i'm really looking forward to seeing what this team can accomplish with a full summer and full off season ahead of it for sure Landon's takes. Yeah, um, I'll burn through these quick. I was not at opening night. Uh, as mentioned, I was in Tulsa at a funeral. But I do have takeaways about the team based on what I've seen, what I've heard. First thing is the front court. Nebraska has a lot of cool pieces, uh, for lack of a better word. Again, really surprised with, with Wilhelm. He seems to be a guy that can really that, it's going to be contributing right away, which is something I'm surprised with. He has a really fun skill set, uh, almost a Kristaps Porzingis type. Kristaps Porzingis type. Uh, step outside, hit the outside shot. Also, you know, really capable of running the pick and roll. Derek Walker is a player that I really enjoyed watching last year. Really high motor, really hard worker inside. Um, so he's another guy with a completely different skill set. And then you've got a guy like Eduardo Andre, who is, you know, the wild card of the three, I would say. Uh, working on developing his frame a little bit, uh, but a true seven footer. Can, can run the court relatively well, make plays at the rim. So Nebraska's front court depth is going to be something that I personally enjoy because in teams past, Nebraska hasn't been the deepest uh, in terms of that. But I really do think now that Nebraska has the physicality and size to compete with some of the Big Ten's best big men, like your Travion Edwards. Travion Edwards, God, my head is all over the place. <laughs> like your Travion Williams is at Purdue or your Kofi Coburn's at Illinois. Uh, takeaway number two for me, uh, McGowan's squared. Uh, Bryce and Trey, lots of big fun potential there. Yeah. I don't think Nebraska Nebraska fans, and even myself included, are quite aware at just how special of a talent Bryce McGowan's is. He's projected to be Nebraska's highest draft pick ever 
after this year. Uh, I was looking at mocks that had him as a lottery pick, I think, at 13th. I think 13 is still qualifying as the lottery. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just really think that Nebraska fans need to sit back and enjoy a player of this caliber playing at PBA night in and night out. It's going to be really special to watch him grow and adapt to the collegiate game, and he's going to be one heck of an NBA player when this thing is said and done, and it's going to be really awesome that you know he spent his time at PBA. So I think that's going to be really cool, and seeing the both of them take the floor has big fun potential. Last thing that I had is Lonzo Verge. I alluded to him a bit ago, but I really like him. I've liked him since he was at Arizona State. He was the most consistent player on an ASU team that really – was one of the biggest underachievers in college basketball last year. Before the season, people had Arizona State making all sorts of deep tournament runs, but they were they for for one reason or another they were really unable to pan out. But it seemed when ASU needed buckets, Verge was the go-to guy on multiple occasions. So seeing how he is able to translate uh, that scoring ability, but also his ball distribution uh, at Nebraska, it seems like he's going to be a pretty integral part of the Husker offense and maybe even the primary ball handler. So I'm ready. My body is ready for all of the Alonzo Verge. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Uh, excited to see the women's team too. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun this winter. It's actually not that far away. So that'll do it for us here on Scarlet Fever. Big thanks to Dirk Chatlin for joining us earlier in the episode. And you can, again, find us on Twitter at Landon Wirt, W-I-R-T, and at Grant, or rather, I'm sorry, at Hanson, H-A-N-S-E-N, 15 underscore Hanson. Again, at Hanson, 15 underscore Hanson. I will be back with you next Friday for another Scarlet Fever as we look back on the Michigan game and ahead to Minnesota along with everything else in Oscar sports. For Landon Wirt, I'm Grant Hansen and this has been Scarlet Fever.